Hello, you are listening to the Bethel Atlanta Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about Bethel Atlanta, visit www.bethelatlanta.com. Well, good morning. Hello, it's so good to see you. Today is Pentecost Sunday. Wow, it's been a good day, a really good day. So I would just love to just pause uh, for a second and just really honor the Holy Spirit. Um, If we could just all stand up in his honor and... uh, you know, who, who the Holy Spirit has become to me, the, especially the last several years, um, there's really no words to touch. So I would just love as a family um, just to speak in tongues together for a few minutes, just in our heavenly language. If you don't um, connect to the Holy Spirit through tongues, he fully understands English as well. Um, he's very capable of understanding all things, even your moans and your groans. So if you need to just groan for a couple minutes, we get it. And he is understanding. Um, but I would just love just to lift up our prayer language and just honor the presence of the Holy Spirit this morning that we have access to 24 hours a day, seven days a week. So you lift your, your unique voice, we honor you in this place, Holy Spirit. Lift your own sound this morning, the sound that only you can make on this earth. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Holy Spirit. We honor you in this place. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Holy Spirit. That in and out of every season, you never get weary. You never grow faint. Thank you, Holy Spirit. We salute you this morning. We stand at attention. We belong to you. We are your dwelling place. And everybody says, Amen. Amen. Um, you know, when... When Jesus said, it's better that I go, because then the Holy Spirit will come. And he will remain, and he will be to you like a friend. And, you know, in Luke chapter 2, Simon had the Holy Spirit come upon him um, before he was available. And it says in in Luke 2, verse 25, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the spirit into the temple. 
So he went into the temple with the Holy Spirit upon him. And when the parents of Jesus brought in the child to do for him according to the custom of the law, Simon took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rise of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed and a a sword will pierce through your own soul also so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. And you know, The Holy Spirit was upon Simon to perceive Jesus. And Jesus was just a child and walked into the room. And because Simon was in the Holy Spirit, he could recognize the Messiah just walked in the room. And the primary role of the Holy Spirit in your life is to help you perceive Jesus, to help you perceive the king is here. The king just walked in the room. And Jesus himself said, the Holy Spirit will lead you into all truth. And and truth in the kingdom is not words that we read. Truth in the kingdom is the person of Jesus. Jesus said, I am the truth. I am the way. And so in our lives, the Holy Spirit is constantly sharpening our senses that any room we walk into, I can perceive Jesus here. I can, I can, like Simon, scoop him up as real in my arms as Simon did. That the presence of Jesus is that real today as when Simon first perceived him 2,000 years ago. And, you know, nobody needs the Holy Spirit to perceive darkness, Nobody needs the Holy Spirit to perceive the evil that's on the earth right now. You do not need the Holy Spirit to perceive the works of the enemy. You need the Holy Spirit to be wildly aware of Jesus. I am living in a promise fulfilled every time I perceive Jesus. And and Simon was even prophesying as he was a child, a sword will go through your side. He knew who he was looking at. He knew, I am looking at my Redeemer. I am looking at my salvation. And and the Holy Spirit this morning wants to reveal more to you about Jesus than you could ever fathom, than you could ever gain the understanding on your own. That's why we do not come to the scriptures without the Holy Spirit. Because what we gather about Jesus with our own lens and our own perspective and our own story we've lived out on the earth is not accurate. And and that's why these words can uh, bring death without the power of the Holy Spirit breathing on the words. 
have you guys seen that meme? It's like, do you need the Holy Spirit to get to heaven? It's like, bro, you need the Holy Spirit to go to Walmart. (laughs) You're asking the wrong questions. (laughs) I cannot perceive Jesus. I cannot perceive a kindness that is not available on the earth, that lives inside the nature of Jesus without the power of the Holy Spirit in my life. I cannot perceive the magnitude of the goodness of God without the Holy Spirit unveiling his true nature in my heart. And so, you know, this morning, I really just wanted to revisit. A couple weeks ago, Lauren uh, spoke a beautiful message, and, and she was, was talking some about who we are in the middle. Everybody in here is in the middle. If you're not in heaven, you're in the middle. If you're not into 10,000 years, you're in the middle. So, hello, welcome to the middle. And uh, I just wanted to revisit what it means in the kingdom to be in the middle of where we are and what has been promised that is coming. And, you know, I've, I've been thinking a lot these last couple of weeks um, about Noah. And, you know, he built the arky arky. Does everybody know it? Two by two. We have two dogs that were not on the ark. <laughs> They're 100% man-made. <laughs> they, <laughs> they could not reproduce without a man. So they weren't there, but lots of other animals were there. And I've been, I've been deriving courage from how real the story of Noah is. And we, you know, it helps me when I break it down. And, you know, when you're looking at the story, God was very specific about all these measurements of the ark. And uh, that means nothing to me (laughs) because (laughs) I use a calculator for everything. And, um, nope, if it, if, if you can't, if it's not like make, make a box of brownies level math, I'm out. I I can make a box of brownies. And, um, so I was just reading some commentary, like how, how, what, what is this size? What do these number, numbers actually mean? And I was reading about how the ark was just a little bit smaller than the Titanic, I watched the movie, so I had a visual aid. (laughs) So sometimes we could think like, oh, you know, this was like a a weekend DIY. Like, let's pin it. DIY yourself an ark. (laughs) And you're like, the commentary said it took anywhere from 20 to 40 years to build the ark. Can you imagine uh, Moses' kids were born in the middle of this process that, what does your dad do for a living? You know, he's building something God told him to build. We're not exactly sure, you know, but every day for just say roughly 30 years, Noah is faithfully building this ark in an absolute act of faith that what God said was coming was coming. That he gave his life to aligning himself with the word of the Lord. To aligning himself in faithfulness. 
And in the kingdom, nobody is asking the question, is God faithful? In the kingdom of heaven, there are no questions around the nature of God. When we listen in to the hustle and the bustle in the cloud of witnesses, there is sheer joy, absolute victory, aware of the sound of the laughter of Jesus. The Bible says he who sits in the heavens is laughing. What are they doing? They're having a great time. They are celebrating absolute victory. No one is biting their nails in heaven wondering if God is going to be who he said he would be. There is absolute confidence. No one's getting up in the morning by faith. There is absolute reality because of my proximity to the sound of Jesus. Because of my proximity to the crown that's on his head, I can see the wrinkle lines. Because he spends his days in the sheer joy of what has been accomplished for the people he loves. So in your hour of human history, your question in the kingdom is not, is God trustworthy? Your question in the kingdom is, am I trustworthy? What kind of promise, what kind of assignment can the Father speak over my life? And for 30 years, I rise and shine and say, I believe God. I believe that what he has said is true. Am I trustworthy? Being connected to the source of all power. Am I trustworthy? to host a king that is irresistible? These are the questions that are being asked in the kingdom today. Am I trustworthy in the middle? Is what heroes of our faith answered with their life? And Noah wasn't just building an ark. He wasn't getting up every day hammering nails. No, he was getting up every day in response to his God. That there was a decree over his life that he, what he did with his life would save humanity. You in this seat right now are impacted by what Noah chose to do with his life. That a remnant of righteousness would be preserved on the earth. His middle was not about finishing an ark and seeing the rain fulfilled. The fulfillment of his promise still lives in the sky today. That every time there's a rainbow, God is saying, I'm still keeping my word to my boy. Generations after Noah is off the earth, the residue, the echo of one man who decided to believe God is still impacting us today. The legacy Noah left was not an ark. You cannot go walk through Noah's ark, although they've made a big fake one. And scientists, you know, have been able to point out remnants of residue from the flood on the earth. 
But that's, that's not where our inheritance is. When we're pulling from men and women who gave their entire lives to move the kingdom forward, the remnant we receive is the residue of faith. What is possible when we believe? And that, you know, the, what he was sowing into a thousand generations is I trust God. I trust God. And, you know, your greatest act of worship on the earth is not what you do with your hands, but why you do it. Why are you building what you're building? Why are you holding the assignment you're holding? And, you know, when, when God called Jeremiah to be a prophet to the nations, he was commissioning him do not be afraid of anybody. And in, in chapter one, he says, you know, these people created gods. They created images. And now they worship the work of their own hands. That you, you can actually end up worshiping the ark you have built. You can end up worshiping the assignment Jesus has put in your hand instead of the one who gave you the assignment. That our work is an expression of our worship. It is not our worship. So who we are in the middle is, is defined by how far are we seeing into the future. Can I see my life touching a thousand generations because I chose to trust God? Because I chose to be trustworthy with who he says he is. And, you know, all of our heroes in the Bible, there's radically different assignments that God put in each of their hands. Your significance in this hour of human history does not lie in your assignment. Your significance in the kingdom lies in your belief in your God. That doing what you have been given to do by faith. <clears throat> and, you know, Moses, he had a big job. <laughs> He had a really big job. He, he was uh, delivering an entire nation from slavery, right? And, you know, it's, it's profound when, when we look at these stories in the context of, what if God was asking me to do this? Like, would I respond with 30 years of picking up a hammer? Would I respond with walking up to Pharaoh? It's time to let my people go, <laughs> you know? Like, what would you sound like? Excuse me? <laughs> Most evil man alive on the planet. The actual force of evil 
destroying people, let my people go. No smile. I mean, you got to be serious. And, you know, the Israel had been slaves for hundreds of years. Hundreds of years. So, you know, they had no role model of a, of a, a Hebrew, a person that looked like them. A person that sounded like them living free. They, they had no role model of what does, what is the potential of freedom in my people. For hundreds of years, the visual aid was my destiny is to be a slave. My future, my children's future is to be a slave. And when we look at the kingdom of hell, the kingdom of darkness, and, and what is the life force behind every demonic power on the earth, over and over again, it's, it's the life force of fear. When you start to really dive in to what was tripping up the people of God, and the most consistent message was, do not be afraid. And so the, the people of God, <clears throat> I mean, I mean, Moses trusts God enough that these people are out of Egypt dressed in the Egyptians' clothing. So they weren't just like leaving, they were plundering. Egypt. And they're looking down at their kids, and their kids are dressed in wealth. So they were, they were exiting Egypt, having plundered their hell. And they uh, pull up to camp at the Red Sea, and <laughs> they hear Pharaoh drawing near. And he had gathered his entire army, all the chariots. So this wasn't like a quiet experience. This was, I can hear my tormentor getting closer. And he, they're on the edge of, of the sea. And it says, when Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them and they feared greatly. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? You know, it's not their most faith-filled moment, you know, <laughs> Is not this what we said to you in Egypt? We don't want your freedom. <laughs> uh, leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians. For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians to, than to die in the wilderness. And Moses said to the people, fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians who you see today you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be silent. This actually happened. Then the Lord said to Moses, why are you crying out to me? <laughs> this is a stressful question. <laughs> it's pretty clear. To all of us, we are about to die. This is why I am crying out to you. This is a moment. This is a moment. Tell the people of Israel to go forward. Lift up your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it 
that the people of Israel may go through the sea on dry ground. Did not think of that. That, that in this moment, you know, my amygdala is totally in flight, fight, or freeze. My thinking brain is not online. So I didn't think. I'll just divide the sea real quick. Let me just divide the sea real quick. Water will become a wall on both sides. And we'll just march on through here to the promised land where the milk and the honey is. You know? If you've been in the kingdom for five minutes, this is what following Jesus is like. This, my ways are not limited by your ways. My thoughts are not your thoughts. Come up here. So they're going through. <laughs> and uh, it, it says, um, the Egyptians pursued and went in after them in the midst of the sea. All Pharaoh's horses, his chariots, and his horsemen are following after them in the sea. And in the morning watch, the Lord in the pillar of fire and cloud. Okay, so there's a fire on both sides of them. So if you've ever thought, if God will just show up visibly in front of me and speak to me audibly, I will have the faith and the courage to do everything he's called me to do. It's a pipe dream. <laughs> it is a fantasy because God is speaking audibly and he is appearing visibly. There is a cloud of the presence of God in front of them, a cloud behind them, tangible fire. You brought us here to die. <laughs> so they all follow them into this miraculous path, <laughs> you know? And God is looking down from his cloud right there, and, and he threw the Egyptians into a panic, clogging their chariot wheels. <laughs> so they drove heavily, and the Egyptians said, let us flee from before Israel, for the Lord fights for them against the Egyptians. They're, they're in the middle of the sea, and they are having a revelation. Their God is alive. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the sea that the water may come back upon the Egyptians, upon their chariots and upon their horses. So Moses stretched out his hand over the sea and the sea returned to its normal course when the morning appeared. And the Egyptians fled into it. The Lord threw the Egyptians into the midst of the sea. And the waters returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen, all the host of Pharaoh that had followed them into the sea. Not one of them remained. But the people of Israel walked on dry ground through the sea, the waters being a wall to them on their right hand and their left. Thus, the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians. And Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians. So the people feared the Lord and they believed in the Lord and his servant Moses. So, you know, the same sea, when, when we look at the, you know, the sea is the middle. It's the middle. It's, it's I, I used to be a slave, and I'm not yet walking in the fullness of freedom that I know is available. And when we look at, you know, the new covenant, we know that this way is the cross. And it is 
essential that what torments you follows you into the sea. And when you are moving towards the God of the impossible, and you can hear the sound of the tormentor in your back peripherals. This is the sound of your Redeemer on the rise. That when Jesus made a way through the cross, your torment went with him. You know, in, in the kingdom, our battle is not against flesh and blood. Our battle is with the demonic forces that are stealing, killing, and destroying our capacity to perceive the God of the impossible. And the, the first question of doubt in our story is, did he really say does, does he really not want you to have that? It looks fine. It looks good. And the first expression of human doubt was to doubt his intention towards his people, his goodness towards his people. And, you know, when... When Simon was prophesying, receiving Jesus, he said he was going to reveal the thoughts of man. He was going to reveal what man thinks like. And every place in your life where you are experiencing torment can be fixed in your mind. That your, your anxiety, ha has anybody ever told you just don't be afraid? And how many people instantly felt peace? <laughs> like, well, that was so helpful, thank you. <laughs> your anxiety in, in this moment, wherever you are, whatever you're feeling anxiety about, is not the problem. Your anxiety has the information you need about where you're living alone. Where are you living without presence? The source, the bottom of your anxiety, it's like a friend. You've got to grab by the hand and say, show me where I'm alone. Show me where I'm living like a, 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 an orphan. Show me where I'm living like, a, like I have a God who's only capable of what I'm capable of. Show me where I'm limited in the way that I'm thinking about my God and about myself, about the world around me. Reveal my thoughts. Take me to the bottom of the stories that are stuck in my body that need presence. And Jesus, you know, in, in Romans 8, no, too, taking too long. I'll just quote it. So you have not been given a spirit of fear. What Jesus did on the cross was everything that wired you to think like a slave. You are no longer a slave to fear. Anybody who has ever been under the torment of fear 
knows how it creates a puppet out of you. That it steals your capacity to arise and shine and do what the Father is doing. And it puts you on defense with the goal of shrinking your life so that I, I live small. And, and living big doesn't mean I have all these public exploits. It means I'm like Simon, and I'm on a mission to perceive Jesus. I am on a mission to live in such a way that my faith in the Father touches a thousand generations. And so this morning, the gospel is always inviting your anxiety to come. Come home. Come home. The parts of you that are living unaware, that are unable to perceive a God who loves you, come home. Come home. Give those parts of you permission to tell the story that needs redemption. To tell the story that needs a redeemer who's bigger than you. If we can just all stand up. Every time the, the command is given, do not be afraid. There's a promise right next to it that says, I'll be with you. You're not alone. We have the capacity to not fear facing our giants, facing what has been taunting the people of God for generations when we begin to build our life on a promise, I'll be there. I'll be there. That our confidence is not in outcomes. Our confidence is the one who will be with me. When you walk through these waters, I'll be there. When you walk through fire, hey baby, I'll be there. At every place anxiety is running over your capacity to be brave, to take your place in the kingdom, to believe in your intentional significance in this moment of human history. Your courage is not by power, your own might, your own strength, your own capability. Your courage is in the promise. I am with you. Jesus' parting words. Go make disciples of all nations. I'll be there. I'll be with you. I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. And the greatest thing you will ever do with your faith is believe in a God who sees you as precious. I chose you because you are precious in my sight, because I honor you and I love you. This is the promise that's echoing that will not change. You matter to me. So Jesus, we just say this morning, we belong to you. We belong to you. 
We belong to you. Your thoughts are higher than our thoughts. Your ways are higher than our ways. We give ourselves to your ways. You have something, babe? Yeah, First Peter 5, 7 says, cast your anxiety upon him for he cares for you. And I, I felt like, you know, I felt like actually the altars are actually open for us to run and cast this anxiety upon him. And I think, again, what Jen said, a lot of times we think that the problem is the fear itself or the problem is the anxiety itself. The problem is we don't know who's with us in those places. And so I, I, I literally, I, I, I saw a few of you with uh, pains in your body. I saw a few of you that um, it's the nagging sexual abuse from when you were a kid. I saw a few of you, it's, it's your fear in your workplace, in your job, in your, am I enough for this? I saw some of you, it's, it's you just get trapped up in your own head and you're in your own heart, in your own body and you feel like you can't get out, you're just, you're stuck. And, and I just heard him say, I, I, I care for you, I'm with you, I'm with you, I'm with you. I saw a few of you, it was your, it was your children, you were, You've given your life so much to your kiddos that you forgot about yourself. And so your anxiety is just tied up in there and your stomach's all in knots. And you actually have been having stomach issues because you haven't cast that anxiety upon him because he's with you in your kiddos. And so there was just those specific things. So I just saw us just come up to the front. And I just saw, yeah, just come on, just, just come on, come on, just respond, just come on. And I just saw the Father just show up with, with presence, with, with with you presence, with you. The power here is in he's with you, he's with you, he's with you, he's with you, he is with you. I just want to decree over you. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified. That perfect love casts out fear. There is only one source of a love that is perfect. There's only one father who has never been afraid of what scares you. He has never been afraid. Your God is perfect love. What scares you does not scare him. The spirit that Jesus paid to live inside of you says, Abba, Father, Abba, Father.
Hey V, could you just come sing a little song over us? As V's talk, I mean, as V's coming up, I, I felt one other thing. Um, so for some of you, the anxiety is just so trapped within your body. It's trapped within your bones. It's trapped within your cells. And I saw the tenderness of the Lord come up to you and his care come up to you. And I saw him turn attention to your care for your own body. He, he just said to you, I like your body. I came to, to rescue your body. I care about your body. And I literally saw stuff exit out of your body. Stress, anxiety, fear, shame. And then I saw for maybe one or two, I saw some self-condemnation where you're so angry at your body. You're angry at the pain that you're in and it's actually turned into some self-hatred stuff. And I saw the Lord just pop that off you and just say, I care for your body. I care for you. So Jesus, I just thank you for what you're doing in the room right now. I thank you just for the blanket of faith that's, 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 that's uh, removing these false pretenses, these false um, experiences that are happening within our body. And we just bless our bodies right now. Thank you for listening to the Sermon of the Week. To stay connected with Bethel Atlanta, visit www.bethelatlanta.com.